Well, hello again, and welcome to the County Conversation, a podcast featuring employees and subject matter experts from the Fairfax County government discussing programs, services, and items of interest to residents of Fairfax County. I'm your host, Jim Person. On this edition of The Conversation, we're talking with Deputy Chief Tracy Reed, Community Risk Reduction Deputy Chief. That's with the Fairfax County Fire and Rescue Department. Our topic today is an important life safety issue involving winter weather and heater safety, especially in light of recent fires in Philadelphia and New York City. We'll also talk a bit about community risk reduction, what it is and what it means to Fairfax County. Chief Reed, first of all, thanks for being here on the County Conversation Podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Looking forward to the conversation and not a normal one in that we kind of have a life safety topic with us today, which is real important. So let's start with the uh, home fire safety topic since the Sunday, January 9th apartment fire in New York where 19 people, including nine children, were killed in an apartment fire started by a malfunctioning space heater. Now, why is that important for Fairfax County residents knowing how to safely heat their home during these cold days of winter that we're in? Yeah, great question. There's a couple of reasons, I think, why people may have difficulty heating their home. There are some people, it's just space heater safety. Right. So not plugging it into extension cords, multiple extension cords, always making sure that you inspect the extension cord, or not the extension cord, but the cord for the device to make sure that it's not frayed or tattered or that it's been damaged anyway. Making sure that it's in a safe location where people can't trip over it Mm. or it's obstructing movement or that it's too close. So we want it at least three feet from another object that could catch on fire. So there's that aspect of of people who can afford a a safety heating mechanism and then making sure that they're using the appliance properly. The other part of that equation, though, is for people who may not be able to safely heat their home. So they're using alternative measures such as somebody who can't maybe afford to pay their electric bill, their power gets shut off, and now they're using generators inside in a garage Mm. or something like that. Now that's leading to a heating safety issue, also a carbon monoxide issue. So there's a couple of different facets of the heating safety problem. Kerosene heaters, I assume, that could potentially be another problem? Yes, I think definitely after this (laughs) last storm, when people have had no power for several days, they were looking for alternative means. and. You get creative when your family and your you know, personal safety is at risk because of hypothermia. So trying to make sure that people can stay warm. And the county, that's why we look at the open, opening shelters also. So, I mean, when we're talking about this issue of, you know, staying warm, not only are we talking about like furnace safety, some things we need to do there, which I'll let you address, but go through the other ones that we've already kind of talked about, you know, the, the portable space heater, if you will, the kerosene heaters. Uh, wood-burning stoves, that type thing, fireplaces as well. So a lot of different ways we can keep warm during the winter. Talk to us a little bit about each of those, if you will, and maybe a, a safety tip or two when we're dealing with each of those. Sure. So we talked about the space heaters, keeping it three feet away from anything that can burn, such as bedding, clothing, or curtains, making sure that it has an automatic shutoff. It's important in case an animal child tips right, it over. Right. Uh, making sure that you turn it off when you go to bed or leave the room. So if there is a problem that you're awake to notice it. We talked about plugging directly into outlets, never using extension cords or power strips, and making sure that's a recognized product, UL certified. Um, fireplaces, we want to keep a glass or metal screen in front of the fireplace to prevent embers or sparks from jumping out. Don't burn paper in your fireplace. It's not mm. a good way to get rid of sensitive documents. Uh, shredding mm-hmm. is much safer. Mm. Again, put the fire out before you leave the home or go to sleep. 
And it's really especially important to make sure that we discard those ashes in a safe manner, not in a paper bag, but in a metal container and not inside the home. So we run multiple fires. That's one of our most common types of fires in the wintertime is improperly disposed fireplace ashes. So people will Mm -hmm. put them in their garage or put them on their back deck. We want to make sure they're at least 10 feet from the home and in a metal container. Uh, You mentioned wood stoves as well. Again, keeping three feet from anything that can burn, not burning paper. Same, making sure that the fire's out before you go to sleep. And especially having your chimney inspected uh, to make sure that the maintenance, there's no cracks in a zero clearance chimney, that it's safe from the actual structure so that the structure doesn't catch on fire. Interesting. Yeah, and when you were talking about properly disposing of the the ashes, you know, those kind of things, it was like, well, isn't that a common sense kind of no-brainer thing not to put it in a paper bag or put it out on your deck? But apparently it's not. No, and that kind of goes to improperly discarded fireplace ashes is similar to improperly discarded smoking materials such as cigarettes. So when we see people who maybe smoke on their front porch or back porch and flick their cigarette butts into the mulch, that Mm -hmm. can smolder and it can be hours later that it actually starts a fire and lights the outside of the house. So I think in the fire department, we're much more aware and common sense may not be common to everybody, not (laughs) in an insulting way, but it might not be something you've ever come across where it's pretty common for us to come across these types of fires. I'm glad you mentioned the the, the improperly disposed uh, smoking materials. In other words, I wanted to make sure we got to it, but, uh, you know, so we got to it earlier than I had thought we would, but that's good that you brought it up. So, yeah, that's uh, like a leading or the leading cause of fire in Fairfax County is the is the cigarette that's just improperly disposed of. It's very close with cooking fires. They kind of go back and forth. And okay. it's whether, you defi- whether you're looking for the most common type of fire, the most property damage, or the most injury or fatalities from fire. Mm. But they're right up there together, cooking fires and improperly discarded smoking materials. Okay. Talk to me. I know we were talking about home heating safety, but while we're on the topic, improper, you know, cooking fires, what's the cause of that? Or what can folks do to kind of prevent a kitchen fire? So having a fire extinguisher in the kitchen nearby and knowing how to use it, pass, pull the pin, aim the extinguisher, squeeze the handle, and sweep back and forth at the base of the fire. So it's a very simple acronym. It's usually printed on all the fire extinguishers. Smoke detectors. A lot of people disable the smoke detector closest to their kitchen (laughs) because of the burnt toast and it becomes an annoyance, but it's really important to have that. And a lot of it's either the the unattended, that they're cooking Mm. and it's an oil, they're cooking some type of oil or something like that, or... They put something in the oven, they fall asleep, they forget about it, and it ignites and maybe extends to the cabinets or something. Right. Okay. Is this kind of part of what we were going to talk about when we're talking about community risk reduction or CRR, these um, smoking materials, kitchen fires, um, unintended consequences, et cetera? All of these things kind of make up this community risk reduction program? Is that what we're talking about? Yes. So community risk reduction is an interesting And somewhat new, or it's becoming more popular in the fire department, a program. So the definition, according to the NFPA, is a process to identify and prioritize local risks, followed by integrated and strategic investment of resources, emergency response and prevention, to reduce their occurrence impact. And the main point of that is we look at data. We're very data-informed. Interesting in order to determine what services the community needs. So we'll look at not only what causes our fires, like we talked about cooking fires, improperly discarded smoking material, but where in the community are these fires occurring? And then that way we can focus our effort on those specific communities. Maybe we don't have a cooking fire in all of Fairfax County. Maybe it's specific areas 
And then we'll look at the demographics of those areas to make our program. So for one example, um, we might look at how many people in that area have access to social media or Hmm. cell phones. So if we're going out trying to educate them, we use a lot of QR codes and we have ways to text information. But if that portion of the community doesn't have access to that, then having electronic information really isn't going to be productive for them. So it's identifying where the risk is, who's at risk, and then tailoring programs to that vulnerable population. One of the questions I was going to ask you is how does CRR apply to the fire service? But I think you've kind of uh, given us a, a good example. Um, maybe lessons learned or things that y'all have already found out. Uh, as, is this program new or fairly new? I mean, what what data do you have to, to share with us? I think we've always done some form of CRR. Mm, a lot of times right. we called it fire prevention. Emergency right. response is one form of CRR. Right. But there's multiple. We don't want to just be the response agency. We really mm. want to work on mitigating the disaster and preventing the disaster. So it's going beyond just the response part in order to reduce injury and prevent injury at the same time. So we've been doing this. We've had different forms of the program um, for a couple years. Uh, For example, community members might remember when we went door to door with smoke detectors a few years ago. And that's a great program. Smoke Mm -hmm. detect. Everybody needs smoke detectors. Make sure that they're maintained properly. But what we found is a lot of the residents already had smoke detectors. So was that the best use of resources, of time, personnel, and equipment? Versus, again, if we do a risk assessment, we use data to determine what populations or what areas most likely don't have those detectors and then focus on those areas. We're getting much more bang for our buck than just going door-to-door to over a million different people. Right. You mentioned the example earlier about social media and QR codes and maybe the population that needed it the most wasn't getting it because of maybe, I don't know, socioeconomic factors, et cetera. Um, Address that a little bit, if you will. How are y'all dealing with the multiple languages spoken in Fairfax County? And the I'll just lay it out there, the, the equity issue among residents in Fairfax. Yes, that's a great question. So it is the access issue, whether it's socioeconomic or cultural, whatever we deal with. But language is an obstacle. So we do work on having our materials translated in multiple languages. Uh, We do have paper copies. We do have larger print if people have a hard time reading. Uh, We have a couple of teams. So our community response teams that can go out to people's house and our life safety educators who go out and educate groups. So if people, maybe they don't absorb information in a written fashion, we advertise on our social media. And like I said, we can do in-person things. So trying to use a variety of communication methods in order to get our safety messages across and focus on what the community needs. The other part of CRR really is the C. It's the community. So it's Mm. not the fire department or Fairfax County, I'll say going out to save the day. It's empowering the community to help each other and to help themselves and to spread their message because they know their community. They live in that community. They have ownership of that community. And they're probably much more effective of knowing the needs and how to meet those needs than we are in the fire department. We're on the county conversation with Deputy Chief Tracy Reed. She's with the Fairfax County Fire and Rescue Department Community Risk Reduction Deputy Chief. And uh, you were just talking about the C in CRR, the community, empowering them, et cetera. How are are y'all going about doing that? It's teaching, I think, like I said, identifying agencies in the county. So the county has over 153 agencies. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of resources in Fairfax County to help people. And there are a number of people in need, but how do we connect those people? So in the fire department, we're in a unique position because we run about 100,000 calls a year. So we're interacting with a number of community members who have needs. 
How do we document those needs and then help connect those people to the resources that are available? But also you talked about the community. It's the partnership with non-government organizations, charities, maybe religious organizations, healthcare institutions, other people besides Fairfax County agencies that also want to provide service. So it's really, I say community again, it's an all-encompassing and then finding those community advocates who want to help out in their own community, who the community leaders are, and then working with those people. Right. CRR, Community Risk Reduction, are there principles? You know, I don't want to get too deep in the, you know, government or uh, techno-speak, if you will, but are there overall uh, overarching principles or guidance or anything to the CRRR? Sure. So there's a 5E model, which is 5Es, which is the common nationwide model, and it's engineering, emergency response, economic incentive, education, and enforcement. And in Fairfax County, we've really embraced a sixth E, which is equity, just like in line with the one Fairfax Mm -hmm. policy. We talk about if not everybody needs a smoke detector, we don't need to waste resources where people already have that need met. We want to focus where the need is. So using that data to find the need and then find either a program already in place that can meet that need, or does a new program need to be created or a new partnership formed in order to meet the needs? Gotcha. Let's go over those five E's really quickly if we could start. I think the first one was engineering. Engineering. Yeah, talk a little bit about that and what it means to Fairfax County. Yeah, so engineering, if you look at seatbelts, car Mm. accidents, it's an engineering way to try to protect people. So seatbelts and cars help mitigate injuries. They don't prevent the car accident, but they help mitigate the injury. So that's an engineering solution. Fences around pools is an engineering solution. You mentioned the fire in New York. Fire closing doors that are self-closing doors that close automatically so people don't have to remember to close them. Fires in occupied dwellings where there's multiple families like Philadelphia and like New York, it's very important, and single-family dwellings, to close the door. So we had a, a big promotion, close before you doze. It keeps the smoke out. It keeps the heat out. It keeps that compartment okay. much more um, safe. safe. The, the chances of staying alive is a lot longer if the door is closed, like hours longer if the door is closed wow. when there's a fire. So if you have to run out of your apartment or condo, close the door behind you if it's on fire. So that wind-driven fire makes the fire a lot worse. And again, that's what happened in Philadelphia and New York is they did, they did not they have the know. self-closing doors. So right. They weren't fo- functioning. We'll have to wait for the reports to come out. But those are examples of engineering. Emergency response, I think everybody's familiar with. That's what we're known for in the fire department and public safety. Economic incentives might be like a tax break for somebody who does have a fence around their pool. Hmm. Or tax breaks, and this applies to medical also, businesses who have an AED if they they received a tax incentive. AED is? Automatic external defibrillator. February is Heart Awareness Month. So uh, very important if somebody suffers a cardiac arrest to immediately do CPR, bystander CPR, and place an AED before the fire department even gets there. That's something that any citizen can do, even if they're not trained. They just push the button, turn it on, and it talks to you and tells you everything to do. Okay, good. Um, The fourth E, education. And again, that's what we're doing with CRR and with this podcast. Appreciate the opportunity to talk. And then the fifth E, we we don't like to rely on, but enforcement. Mm. So it's it's the county or the state creating legislation, again, with the pool example or the seatbelts that you have to wear a seatbelt, you have to have a fence around your pool, those kinds of initiatives. Okay. And then Fairfax County's sixth E, equity, uh, talk to a little bit about that. How, how are y'all addressing that in the fire and rescue department? That's really, it goes back to the data. So it, there is a qualitative 
component oh, okay. to it where yeah. we're running calls and we're seeing communities right. or people in need. And it's it's what I see, what I observe. But a lot of it's our data, list, we're data analysts. We're very lucky to have a data section in the fire department and they're able to provide us the number. So it's I it's we get away from the I think the problem right. is, but the data shows the that problem kind of may be something yeah. different and yeah. where the problem is. Uh, Charlottesville did a community risk assessment and going back to cooking fires, they identified two areas where cooking fires were a problem in their city for very different reasons. The mm. data showed in one area it was college students who probably didn't have a lot of right. cooking knowledge, cooking Makes safety sense, knowledge, yeah. first time they've been away from home. But another area was a lower socioeconomic area. Different way you're going to impact those people as far as the education, different programs that you're going to have to use. So just because it's cooking fires doesn't mean that you're going to reach those communities in right. the same way. One solution doesn't fit all. In Correct. Way. And that's the equity part of that. Right. What have you learned, if anything, so far here in Fairfax County? Specific examples, specific program, anything that you could share? The biggest thing I'm surprised at is there's so many resources. We are so lucky to have so many county resources and community partners. But the downside of it is that there's so many, it might not be right. easy to find. Oh, I didn't know that agency did this. I didn't know that this partner did this. So right. trying to bring all these partners together, and we're working on a technological solution for that. We have a community response team, and they can go out for anything. So people who call 911 repeatedly, and we do six to, over six times in 60 days, we refer them to our community response team. And these people usually have mobility issues, so they fall a lot. Hmm. There might be a mental health component, an addiction component, a memory component if they live alone and have problems. So in order to reduce the emergency response, because there are risks with emergency hmm. response, traffic. And, and cost. Cost, yes, definitely. To meet their specific need, 911 might not be the most appropriate resource. Mm -hmm. So we have a team, we have a couple of teams that actually go out and follow up with the people afterwards to find out what their needed need is and is there a way we can meet that long term without 911. They had a caller last year in a six month time period called 911 and it was over 1100 hour times and it Holy was over cow. 80 hours on the phone with a wow. 911 call taker over a six-month period. Wow. We were able to intervene and reduce that dramatically just by going out and seeing what exactly is the right. need. So if it's right. falls, is it grab rails? Is it ramp? Is it a, a medical alert tag? Uh, is it an addiction issue where we can refer them or connect them with services? Goodness. Incredible. All right. Uh, one thing I want to make sure we cover is uh, Fairfax County Fire and Rescue has been doing this type of thing for quite a while. Life Safety Education Branch has been around for a while. Seasonal topics, uh, things like that. Talk to me a little bit about Life Safety Education Branch. Yes. Great group of people. So probably a lot if you have children, they've gone out into the schools. I'm very famous for their puppet shows, but mm. they also go out to homeowners associations, any group, senior education, a lot of education for seniors on fire safety right. and health safety. So they cover the the general seasonal topics that you talked about that are important, like smoke detectors that are important for everybody. Very similar to community risk reduction. Like I said, the difference is probably that data focused for community risk reduction right. is where's the risk versus life safety. They educate all ages on all topics. Yeah, kind of a broad, broad base where CRR is maybe you know, pinpointing kind of more accurate shot, if you will. Exactly. All right. Um, before I let you go, uh, what's a telephone number, website? Uh, how can folks get more information, find out about community risk reduction? Anything we've talked about here today? Sure. Our website is fairfaxcounty.gov backslash fire dot dash rescue. 
And our life safety education phone number is 703-246-3801. And like I said, they're available for phone calls or you can schedule in-person group meetings if you're a homeowners association or church or any group that would like more information on any topic or specific topics. And then also social media such as Nextdoor, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our website has lots of educational materials right, also. Right. And a good a good blog too as well. So, um, and I, I want to make sure we, we bring up this one other thing that you kind of just snuck in there. It's uh, February is, is uh, American Heart, Heart Month, Heart Awareness Month. Yes. So cardiovascular disease, heart disease, coronary artery disease is a big problem in the United States. So there are a lot of preventive measures. Right. Um, it, the big thing is getting calling 911. Anytime you have somebody has symptoms, they're not acting right, chest pain, chest pressure, denial is the number one symptom. <laughs> And it's uh, not a river in, you know, somewhere. Folks. No. <laughs> uh, pain down into the arm, into the yeah. neck, difficulty breathing, just not feeling right. You know, don't don't wait on that. If somebody True. does collapse, True. there's a chain of survival. There are six steps in the chain of survival. The first three happen before the fire department or the medic unit, the ambulance actually arrives. So, again, it goes back to that's where the community is going to right. save people that before AED. we get there. Right. And that's calling 911, bystander CPR, and using that AED. And you'll see them around with the, the heart picture and kind of the lightning bolt through them. Again, you need no training whatsoever. As long as you remember to turn it on, the machine will turn right. tell you everything to do. We recently had a cardiac arrest survivor. We do reunions, where we, and we have a cardiac arrest survivor. We reunite them with the bystanders and the fire department cool. personnel who save them. And the person who used the AED on that call had never used one before. Wow. Somebody handed it to him, and he turned it on. Uh, you can see a reunion on, on YouTube. We have that on our page. Um, nice. Very nice gentleman. But the big thing is to call 911. Our telecommunicators are specifically trained in how to provide CPR instruction over the phone, even if you don't know what the letter CPR stand for. So as long as somebody calls 911, they can provide the technical and the emotional support. That's a, an yeah, emergency huge, that most yeah. people aren't used to dealing right, with. Right. You just have to call 911 first and then be willing to help. Right. Yeah, and I'll just put a plug in for the nine one one folks. You know, you're you're having they're there for when you're having the worst day of your life. So yeah, Deputy Chief Reed, anything I forgot to ask? Anything you want to add before I let you go? No, this has been great. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and everybody out there. Oh, absolutely, Deputy Chief Tracy Reed, Fairfax County Fire and Rescue Department, here with us today. Thanks to her and thanks to you for listening. Uh, if you want to get more Fairfax County news and uh, information, go to fairfaxcounty.gov news, or you can call 703-Fairfax. That's 703-324-7329. That's weekdays between 8 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. Thanks again for joining us on the County Conversation Podcast, which is produced by the Fairfax County Virginia Government.